All right. Good evening. Welcome back. Thirsty Thursday. Cheers, guys. Trevor, it's good to see that you're not underwater. The Pickle Pelican is still standing and has your lights on. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Bobby, we can see in the background there that the you know the nice little breeze, the palm tree. The, the Delaware palm trees. That's right. I'm here at the House of Sauce. Um, mm. So great wings, great nice food, sunset. great sunset. Oh, look at that. Hold on. Let me let me show you Lance's picture. That's what, oh, nice. that's what we're looking at right behind me. Wow, that's awesome. There you go. So so tonight, folks, we don't we don't really have a show planned uh, as far as topics and special guests and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that I, I figured we would talk about is everything happening in Florida, and um, you know, Trevor being down there can give us a little bit more information on you know what they've gone through and what they're dealing with. Um, and you know, one of the things that we talked about pre-show is how do we prepare for that, um, and you know, and just kind of a show regarding that. Um, so. With that being said, uh, we'll kick it over to Trevor, give us a little update on how you guys are doing, and uh, you know we'll go from there. Great, Ben. Appreciate that very much. Um, you know, First and foremost, want to keep our thoughts and prayers with our brothers and sisters over there in like Naples and Fort Myers and Venice and Sarasota and um, you know, all, all the different areas over there. You know, Certainly, we all have friends and colleagues that are uh, you know, living over in, in that area, and um, like, well, like Hoovenden over in Punta Gorda, um, you know, all those folks. So, you know, any, any time a hurricane comes up the coast, as you guys well know, uh, you know even in the mid-Atlantic, it's a significant issue. And it, it's a game of inches, truly, that if, if it tracks, you know, a few miles to the north or south or to east or to west, it can make a huge difference on the impact. And one thing that I'm very cognizant of, and this has been from my Ocean City days, is that when you know, any of our firefighters, paramedics, um, you know, dispatchers, military personnel, National Guard, whomever, you know, or law enforcement, when, when they're away serving, they're away from their family and their family's serving too. And, you know, the best thing that we can do is make sure our people are taken care of. Uh, they're our most valuable resource. So if, if they're home and their family's not taken care of beforehand and they're on duty, they're not really there. They're physically there, but mentally they're, they're not there. I mean, they're, they're stressed or, you know, they're prone to a lot of stuff going on. So even from back in the day, I saw, I saw the good and the bad of management of how some of those things were addressed. And you always try to, to the best of my ability here, um, make sure that, Hey, when, when you come in that you have full faith and confidence that your family's taken care of, either they've evacuated or, you know, you pr provided for them as much as you possibly can before you report to duty. Uh, I had extra crews in yesterday. Uh, they kind of had some fun because we have a very great relationship with our business community. Um, the, the Marriott Ocean Point, which is this beautiful, beautiful resort there in my first due, um, they, they'll give us rooms for additional personnel. Bobby, both you and Ben have been down um, in my first due and know that the living quarters for uh, you know, my fire crews are, is more akin to being on a submarine. Uh, it's not grand. It's not big whatsoever. So the Marriott actually gives us um, like villa suites to put our staff up in. And then if we have to unask the island, we do similar to what we did back in Ocean City. We take certain apparatus off the island, certain apparatus. Hey, uh, Trevor. Yeah. If you cut down the side of that cheese off, they probably have more room. Yeah, okay. Um <laughs> Hey, that 
that that that is that is my 20 square feet of joy right there bobby don't make fun of my don't make fun of my workspace but um that's that's funny because it's true um but anyway he didn't, do, he didn't do the desk photo so he can't have people seeing him drive the desk right now there you go you know what but because the fcc has certain regulations i cannot uh, display the obscene finger gesture that i was going to but uh nevertheless um you know kind of going on with my story uh, you know, our, our folks last night, uh, my, my fast attack crew was at the Marriott. And I just said, look, guys, just because you're living like rock stars tonight, don't act like them. So please don't trash the room. If you want to bounce on the bed, that's fine. Do whatever you want to do. But just, you know, have fun. Um, and, you know, we it was an uneventful night, believe it or not. I mean, we ran the uh, smoke investigation call and, you know, some other little minor stuff here and there. But we were actually very fortunate. Um but the expanse of the storm is just so large. And I think that's what people fail to realize with these storms, just like back in, in Maryland and, and the Delmarva Peninsula. If if that storm comes up the coast or even skirts the coast, we have a, a whole subset of things that we have to deal with as coastal fire service. If it comes up the Chesapeake Bay, we still have things to deal with. But then the inland communities, just like um, you know, in, in Baltimore and PG County and even on the uh, you know the western part of the eastern shore, during like Isabel and Irene and uh, Sandy and some of those other storms, they got pummeled. And as a coastal community, it wasn't so so bad. So to that end, I think that uh, you know we always need to realize that uh, you know any of these storm events are very protracted. Uh, we might be on duty, you know, we might go in for a twenty-four hour shift, and and know we have to stay for up to seventy-two. And depending on circumstances, you know, the other people can't get in to relieve us. Um, and in the meantime, you know, our families are home. Our, our, uh, you know, our fellow uh, brothers and sisters, they, you know, their families are home trying to fend for themselves while we're out trying to protect the rest of these communities. And uh, I really hope that going forward, and this is always pushing the boulder up the hill, there's a lot of folks um, specific down here to South Florida or Florida in general that are just like back home, there's the ones that they're, they're never going to evacuate because they've been through X, X, Y, and Z storms over the years. They never felt the need. And then we have a lot of people who are new to the area who've never really experienced hurricanes. We had such an influx of uh, people moving to the state who just completely their cheese slips off their cracker because this is something completely new and foreign to them um, and creates some, some issues for you know, the first responders that have to go out and you know, deal with the, the decisions these people have made. Um, but nevertheless, I know everyone's probably seen some footage of, you know, especially the West Coast and Central Florida. Uh, you know, please keep those people in your thoughts and prayers. They're you know, still responding as we speak uh, to a very catastrophic event. And uh, you know, now the storm's going back out over the Atlantic and you're working its way up towards the Carolinas. And you know, Bobby and Ben, you know this as well as anybody else. Um, you know, we were exceptionally fortunate on the Delmarva Peninsula, not that we didn't have our fair share of uh, hurricanes and northeast storms, but the Carolinas, um, even more specifically, the Outer Banks of the Carolinas usually took the brunt of the abuse for us, um, that when a storm would hit, it would at least break it up enough or slow it down enough or weaken it enough that we didn't receive the impact that they did. So, that's kind of what the West Coast um, did for the majority of the state uh, within the last 24 to 36 hours and going forward. 
So, um, you know, as, as all of us have worked in coastal communities for the majority of our careers, if not all of our careers, um, you know, we, we know the impact and, you know, we see what the brothers and sisters do. And um, Ben, later on, I want to kind of circle back to uh, some of the deployment philosophies and deployment models, not poking anyone in the eye, but just I want to share some things that I share with my people during the briefing yesterday um, and that I, I firmly believe in. And I just like to get some of that information out out there, um, you know, and whether people agree with it or not, I just kind of want to give them my philosophy and the why behind it. So with that, um Bobby, uh, I, I see you got a palm tree behind you too. That's kind of blowing in the breeze. I got, hold on. There's, there's one right back there. That one I don't have to replant in like two months. So just let you know. Yeah. Th this one's going to die. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. So, um, yeah. So, I, you know, I'm a really scientific guy and, uh, you know, so I watch the weather with that kind of same thought process that I do for everything else. And I think what happens is, uh, we all get tornado warnings or we get, hurricane warnings or we get I, I guess other parts of the world get tsunami warnings you know and, and oftentimes they don't they don't happen to be bad you know and I think in our minds we get a little bit more complacent each time you know and I I think when they talk about a 16 foot wall of water um, I think that that an actual hurricane it's a very very small area that actually gets that 16 foot wall of water but they have to put an area up and I remember, and you probably remember this, Trevor, um, they used to use much larger cones for hurricanes. And they had a lot of big municipal areas that bitched about, um, you know, they have to evacuate and the storm never hit them and, and, and things like that, so on and so forth. And I think through the years, I feel like they've narrowed that cone down a little bit. But the storm surge thing is still kind of a wide swath for what actually gets that. So I, I think like what we saw on Fort Myers and some of the areas on the uh, you know on the, on the west coast of uh, Florida, it they got it. You know they they got that actual brunt of it. You know, and um, a, as a firefighter, what I want to really talk about is is um, everyone's seen the pictures and the videos from Fort Myers, and all I can say is back off a little bit. You know, um, that's their community. Um, those guys are at the firehouse and they got flooded. Um, and, you know, if you talk to the, you know, the guys up at Rockaway Beach up off of uh, in, in uh, New York, uh, when they got devastated, um, when you talk to those guys up there, they talk about how fast the water moved in. They had no time to move anything. So literally by the time they realized water was coming into their fire station, um, within five or ten minutes, it was already up waist deep. And the only thing they could do is get out of there. Um, so, you know, I, I just I just want to say that, you know, as a fire service, we're a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And we need not immediately attack fire departments for staying in their communities. Because when I look at those pictures, guess where these people's houses are that are working in that firehouse? The same community, you know. So they're suffering loss of houses. They're losing their own stuff. They probably parked their own cars in that parking lot at that firehouse. Um, they lost their own things. And, you know, and the bottom line is, like, you know, Trevor, you know, this in Ocean City, we're, we're essentially a little strip of land or maybe an island, you call it. Um, and when we leave, it's over. Um, and the problem is, like, our standard, usually most fire department standards are a 60-mile-an-hour sustained wind. They stop operations. Well, when you have that storm surge coming in, you may not be able to get out at 60 mile an hour winds. You know, it's just, 
they were in the worst place at the worst time. And I just, my thoughts and prayers go out to those guys because I know not only are they taking a beating on the internet because of how dumb everyone says they are, um, but their own places have probably suffered some damage or things like that, and they weren't able to be home with their families to take care of them. So um, I think we just got to be easy on it. You know, we're the only solution to our community's problems, and we stay late. We do a lot of things, and, and you know, um, sometimes we risk our lives. That's just kind of the way we Oh, I think Bobby's frozen. Um, but just, just to kind of jump in, like, uh, and comment, you know, in addition to what Bobby's talking about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, so, yeah, that, that was basically the gist of it is, is I mean, you know, uh, fire departments are trying to do the right thing in a horrible situation. Um, and, and, and Florida doesn't have big mountain ranges like people are used to. There's not, like, significantly high ground in Florida. They had catastrophic and devastating flooding in the middle of Florida with this storm. So there's not always a place for people to run in Florida because there's no mountains or anything there. Right. And and Bobby, um, I'm sorry, Ben, I just want to throw this in uh, to Bobby's point before I forget, because I'm getting feeble and old and I forget things easily. But, um, you know, to Bobby's point, you know, these these firefighters and paramedics, they're, they're serving this community and we we have to rely on the same predictions and forecasts that everybody else gets. There's, there's no magic fairy dust that comes through the EOC or anybody else that tells us exactly where things are going to hit. And just like ocean city, I mean, you know, my folks know that our storm plan requires them that if we get to a certain point, we take a portion of our apparatus and we go to the mainland to be able to salvage it. And we keep a skeleton crew back on the Island because you know, think about these coastal communities. A lot of them are only accessible by bridges or very small, low-lying causeways that are prone to washouts. And people do stay. And we're not going to risk our lives unnecessarily. But at the same time, just like to Bobby's point, a lot of these firefighters live in the same community in which they work. Um, none of my firefighters live in the same community in which they work. So to me, that's even a level of, level of dedication that they're willing to you know, sacrifice a lot of stuff to come there. Um, so, you know, agreeably, Bobby, um, I've, n- I've never been a big fan of like the, uh, what was that one thing? Like the, the watch desk or when people sit there on social media and start tearing up fire departments. Look, all of us do stupid crap from time to time. All of us are accountable for what we do. I get that 110%. But, you know, a picture is a fraction of a second in time. It does not uh, paint a, a huge picture. Do we screw up some things time to time? Yes. But when you have a storm surge coming in, and like you said, Bobby, within a matter of minutes, things go from a dry apparatus bay floor to three feet of water in your apparatus bay. Um, there's not a whole lot you're going to do, uh, you know, even with a crystal ball, to prevent that. And you're still there to try to serve the community, including the, you know, the firefighters and, and uh, paramedics who live in that same community. So you know, I agree with you, you know, before people start getting into the uh, you know, the Monday morning quarterbacking or the uh, you know the social media uh, throne if you will where they start you know making all these assessments uh, one thing I will say and, and Ben I'm, I'm sorry because I, I get I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox here in just a, a minute one thing I've been a very big proponent of um, even when I was back in Ocean City and I, I do this to this day with my folks here and we used to do this notion City all the time we'd have floodwaters and you see the folks um, you know, the fire personnel 
they're going out in turnout gear or they're wearing station uniforms. I mean, that's our, that's our daily stuff. That's what we're used to. That's what we work in. But if you look at flood water of anything, whether it's coming in from a, uh, a tidal basin, a stagnant basin, flash flooding, everything else, that's a bunch of crap you don't want to bathe in. Um, so like for my folks, the uniform of the day, unless it was a, a structural fire or, or a water rescue, meaning like a surface water rescue or anything else, they're encapsulated. They're wearing either dry suits or chest waders. And the reason being is I don't want that crap touching their skin because all that flood water, anything that comes up through the the, the storm sewer, the um, sanitary sewer, my garage, your garage, they're waiting in that. And we used to do this notion city all the time. Bobby, you remember this. We would we would come at come back in soaking ass wet from a call that um, you know, during a storm, and the first thing we do is walk into where we live for the next twenty four hours, kick our feet up on the kitchen table where we ate for the next twenty four hours, and we would just you know, we wouldn't decon ourselves or anything else, and then you know we started having the little itchy rash a couple of days later. We wondered why, so you know that was a big thing too. Even with our lifeguards, where we would embed them with the engine crews to help with water rescues. That was great, but those guys are used to wearing trunks and, and tank tops, and we're putting them in flood water and hazmat soup. So that that would be my only thing is to evaluate some of our deployment model, and I'm not poking anyone in the eye. I mean, these pe- folks were out there. They, they were doing the job, doing the deal, and you know, I'm not poking them in the eye because they're doing what they're used to. But I really like I try to get my people to think about, think about the elements that you're actually operating in that you know you're you're out in essentially this chemical soup this nastiness this stuff um so there's a way that we can better protect ourselves with a different maybe out of the box ppe uh where it might be you you might not be a water rescue person but you're wearing a a dry suit or you're wearing a set of chest waders to go and wade over to meemaw who's on her front porch because she didn't evacuate and now she's in four feet of water in her living room maybe just think of that because you know, I want to protect our folks too. God only knows what we've waited through over the years. And that's when I see these, uh, you know, these firefighters and paramedics and law enforcement folks going out and already risking themselves in very, very dangerous environments, but then to expose themselves to all that crap that's in the floodwater. Um, I think that maybe there's a way that we can evaluate this and look at some maybe non-traditional sets of PPE, if you will, for future responses. And you know, with, with that, uh, there ends my sermon. All good. All good. And I, I think those are important things to talk about. Um, you know, going back to what Bobby was talking about, um, you know, we showed the video from Naples and the speed at which that water came in. The other thing to think about is that, that these guys live in Florida, they work in Florida. Like they live in a coastal town, just like we do. Um, like this is not their first hurricane. Like they know how to prepare. They've had people for years, as long as the department's been around, have gone over how to prepare for this kind of stuff. So you see something like that and you're like, oh man, that sucks. Like, yeah, it does suck. Did they plan to do that? No. Did they mean to do that? No. They're like, oh man, I bet if we leave the ladder truck outside, they'll get us one that bends in the middle. Like that wasn't their plan. You know, they may not like that ladder truck, but they didn't do it on purpose. Um, so I think, I think to Bobby's point, you know, it's, it's, you know, those, those keyboard warriors can piss up a rope in the hurricane wind. Fuck them. Um, and then something else I saw and I thought was pretty interesting. You know, the other thing we were talking about was Fort Myers. 
Um, and I'll share this again. But this is a time-lapse video, and it shows the flooding uh, from the storm surge. So we'll watch this real quick. And you can see it starts out just a little bit coming up the street. And this, for a while, the, the street's able to handle it. But then it just starts coming in, and it's, holy cow, it's impressive. So, again, this is, it, it is sped up. It's time-lapse, so it's not like we're watching this real time. But, like, again, to Bobby's point, these floodwaters are rising so fast. You you count that, the storm surge, with the tides that, that happen every six hours. So if you get the storm surge and the high tide coming in at the same time, like, who knows where it's going to end. Uh, but we do know that it's going to end in a bad way, and you need to be prepared for that. So... Uh, again, our thoughts go out to those, all those folks on the, the western side of Florida. and uh, you know, Hopefully they get a, a pretty good response. I've, I've seen some other stuff posted where there's just thousands upon thousands of electrical trucks standing by to go in and start putting stuff back together. Uh, and you know that that's most of the trades are like that. Uh, you know, pre-show we were talking, I was talking with Trevor and uh, got some days off next week in between shifts and you know, if needed, I was prepared to pack up and, and head down that way to, to visit them. And I have an aunt that lives outside of Orlando um, and go down and see them. If needed. But fortunately, everybody's OK. So, uh, yeah. So, Trevor, you had mentioned you wanted to talk about uh, deployment and that kind of stuff. Or did, was that was that, our, was that your soapbox? No, I mean, that, that was that was it in part. But, um, Ben, I'm glad you brought up some of the um, other folks that are just so integral to the recovery efforts. Um, and especially like our electrical line, our, our linemen, our line personnel. Um, yeah, I know it's one of those things where, you know, all, all the firefighters, we had the T-shirts to say, you know, I'm a firefighter because cops need heroes, too. Well, I've, I've seen some electrical linemen that have the same one that says, you know, I'm a lineman because firefighters need heroes. And I, I have a great deal of respect for those people. Um, and think about that. I mean, they're out there in a very austere environment and stuff that we don't want to deal with, uh, you know, in the aftermath, trying to get our lives back to normalcy as soon as possible, our, our debris management people. Um, so when you look at from a, if you will, an emergency management standpoint, um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts that uh, are now starting to get in place that, they're in a planning phase throughout the year. And I mean, you know, we look at ourselves operationally as being very, very important. And we are, there's, I, I take nothing away. I mean, we're hugely important, but think about, you know, how we get our food, um, you know, how we get our supplies, how things occur that they, somebody doesn't just sprinkle fairy dust and these things happen. Um, you know, our, our brethren and sisters in emergency management are huge, huge, huge in this process. Um, and it's, and they, they deal with it more long-term than we do. I mean, we deal with it uh, you know, in the, in the height of the storm, literally. Um, but uh, you, after it's kind of said and done, we were able to start to demobilize where they're just starting to ramp up. Um, I was watching a, a news uh, cast earlier today and they had the folks from team Rubicon on there, which do phenomenal work. And they do a lot of you know great disaster relief work, them and other organizations and they're still doing work from last year's hurricanes in some communities. So it's not like they just kind of you know come in and boom, 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 let's take care of things in the immediate uh, aftermath and then we'll leave and forget about it. They have the long term that they have to deal with. And I, I really think that that's something that's uh, you know not only admirable, but we have to look at the, the systems approach to all these disasters. 
there's a lot that goes into it. The public-private partnerships that are there. Um, you all probably seen when uh, there's been disasters, whether it's you know flooding, hurricanes, mudslides, whatever. And I, I can't remember. I think it's like uh, the Tide detergent people or some other. They have those like big um, convoys that come down with washing machines and detergent and dryers, and will do laundry for communities. That's a that's a concept I never would have thought of, but I just like, somebody somebody thought of that and said there's a need that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, feeding people, and you know, we were very fortunate in Ocean City because you know we always had uh, between Eric Olson and Raffle, um, either cooking or eating, one or the other. Uh, you know, we we had some people that would really take care of us in the business community. Okay. You know, I, I cooked it, I eat it, okay. but um, but we're very fortunate, even the community that. Um, that I work in, like I told you, I mean, the, the, the Marriott gave my people a freaking villa suite to live in last night, um, which is better than any firehouse accommodation they'll ever have in their lives. And, you know, we have um, like Sailfish Marina, for example, during Hurricane Irma, they they would feed public safety. They said, hey, we got all this stuff in our walk-in. Um, they would send a cook in to, you know, who lived in the community and they pay him and he would come in and literally cook for fire rescue, law enforcement, anybody. And yeah, it did it benefit them because they were able to get rid of food or anything. But oh my goodness, I mean, that was phenomenal for us. And then they fed the community. If anybody wanted food, I mean, they would do these things. So I, I think that one of the important takeaways from this is, is sometimes as much as we're divided over, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, politics, business, religion, whatever the case is, the silver lining and, and these disasters absolutely suck but at the silver lining is it does bring the good out in people and, and a lot of people come together um, in these circumstances. Yes. Are there going to be people who are going to look at, at uh, you know, what's going on in Florida or the Carolinas or Maryland or wherever and try to capitalize on people's successes or failures? Absolutely. But at, you know, from the, from the community level, people come together and, you know, neighbor helps neighbor. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a phenomenal thing. So that's, that's the light that comes out of the dark. Just real quick to touch on something that Trevor just mentioned, um, you know, as people, as, as we're moving through this, the funds and the fundraising, all that kind of stuff that are getting set up, make sure if, if you hear people are talking about donating to those, make sure that they're donating to, reputable organizations there's a lot of times that you'll get the, the scumbags set something up just to make a quick buck off of this and it doesn't really go to those people to, to help them um, so if if you hear people talking about it or if you're going to make donations if your department or whatever is going to donate to you again, make sure that they, that process is vetted out and make sure it's going to the right place to help those folks cool um, I, I just want to finish up with what I'm you know, what I was talking about Fort Myers and, and, and the thing is we saw a video and then, and then we had people react to the video. And, and, and so the question I would ask them is, um, you know, did, um, did Tampa Bay move all their fire apparatus to safe places with a million plus people? Did Northport move their fire apparatus to safer places? The only reason these guys are getting beat up is because someone took a video kind of reacted to it you know and and you know when you talk about trevor you talk about the finances and things you know when i was working in sussex county uh, they sent me to hurricane training conferences and things like that and the when i went it's a long time ago so the two two hurricanes they used for that was hurricane hugo that struck charlotte i'm sorry charleston 
and uh, and Hurricane Andrew that struck Homestead, Florida. And they had it down to a number about how many how many cans of fix-a flat would keep fire apparatus tires up, and when you would have to replace those those tires on the fire apparatus. And they they talked about how the tire places where the fire department got their tires at the their buildings got destroyed. And so when they tried to get tires for their apparatus, they couldn't get tires. And so they talked about um, you know that you have to stockpile you know, X amount of sets of tires and you have to have X amount of cases to fix a flat and, and, and a lot of other things in the middle of all that. And I remember it all made sense to me and they had it all figured out. And they could say like within two or three blocks of trying to respond to, to fires or, or incidents in these areas, within two or three blocks, you're, you're blowing a tire because of debris and nails and all that kind of stuff and everything else. So when I came back to where I worked at in the county, I said, well, we need to, you know, stockpile, you know, this many tires and 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 this many boxes of fix a flat, and and you can imagine what the answer was. So so all of our communities could potentially completely prepare for an event like this, and all of our communities would spend millions upon millions of dollars that may never be used in a hundred years. And so communities aren't going to do that. So when you look at your fire service, you look at your fire departments, you look at all these guys, we have a limited budget. We can't make it just right in those communities because we just don't, we're not, and, and, and I can't blame the politicians for this. It's, you know, if they don't get hit with it for a hundred years, you know, they're, they're not looking to spend that kind of money when they have to distribute the money to other things that they need at the time. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, one of the things that, that, that goes on at the emergency management level that nobody really understands is you can be ready for whatever you want, but it costs something and it can cost it. it if you're totally prepared, it costs more than your whole entire city's budget. You know, if you're truly totally prepared. So people are just doing the best with what they can do and what they can make and things like that. And, uh, I'm really thinking about, um, the people in those devastated communities, civilians, everybody, the business owners, everybody else, and that's really where our thoughts should be is, um, you know, how long it takes them to recover and if we can do anything to kind of help them out. And there's, there's always something we can do to help out these people in these, these, these communities. There's always, you know, with the Internet nowadays, you can help anybody anywhere in the world pretty much, I think. So um, my thoughts go out to everybody. And for the guys that are the girls that are working in the fire service down there in those horrible conditions, which I'm sure they are. Uh, post hurricane, um, my cheers, my glass goes up to them. Um, you're a special kind of people to leave your home in such a tough time and, and serve your community. So thanks to all of them. And Bobby, ab- absolutely. Um, I, I want to echo your thoughts because you know their homes are in the wake of that destruction. Also, um, they're not home right now to start making their lives normal. They're on duty right now. They're digging other people out. They're rescuing people off of rooftops. They're getting them out of cars. Um, Meanwhile, their families are kind of fending for themselves. And, you know, the fire service community does come together. And um, But, you know, the first responders, a lot of people forget that they're members of the community like everybody else. So it's not like their homes are immune from destruction or flooding or anything else. Um, they're going through the same things, but also have to provide a level of service. So absolutely, um, you know, I, I echo your, your thoughts about, you know, please remember them, too, because, you know, they're doing essentially double duty and their families are doing double duty right now um, you know, because they don't have that uh, cohesiveness because they're 
their loved ones are out serving right now, and it, regardless of what uh, entity they're serving with. And Bobby, I wanted to touch on something you said, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, is when it comes to the budget process, these you know legislative officials and you know city town managers, they have to say, okay, you know this is this is insurance. We, how much are we going to stock? How much logistically can we stock? Whether it's uh, spare tires, batteries, whatever the case is, even if they wanted to purchase all these things, I mean, some communities just and uh, cities just don't have the means by which to store all this stuff uh, for a rainy day. So to that end, uh, one of the compromises that is good to be able to accomplish, if at all possible, is like, for, for example, um, is it perfect? No, but this helps us immensely as a small community that has very limited resources and very limited storage. Um, during hurricane season, we have a pick list uh, with different places, whether it's uh, the Goodyear place out on North Lake or the, uh, you know, the battery place that, well, same road, but nevertheless, where we can say, hey, look, we need X amount of uh, tires in case we have debris because you're going to pop a tire, like you said, Bobby, every block and a half going on something. We need spare batteries. Batteries go dead um, in the middle of these things. It's not like you can run to Walmart and grab one. So we will do a, a temporary stocking of things, but at the end of the day, we can return them and, and get a refund with a like 10% restock fee. So it, it's a win-win for the public-private partnership. We have the we have the resources that we need just in case that the the, the town or the city or the county, whoever doesn't want to invest, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on all these just-in-case items, but we need the just-in-case items because we're the just-in-case people. Um, and with that being said, that's kind of the compromise that I've found that's worked fairly well is to say, look, we need these things. We really can't feed it. We can't house it. Um, you know, we're not going to keep these things in the perpetuity because those tires are likely to dry rot before we ever ha actually have to use them. But when we have that call or those, you know, three or four storms back to back, we can get these things during the time period that the, that likelihood is most prevalent. We can give them back at the end. They're still brand new stock, and we pay a 10%, 15% restocking fee, which is a hell of a lot cheaper than you know owning these things. Um, but we at least have them. So that's a compromise, again, that I found has um, kind of been helpful in accommodating exactly what you're talking about, Bobby, and also getting past the the financial concerns of having all this stock that we can't use or may never use. Great points, Trevor. Um, and I think, you know, those kind of relationships are born out of, um, you know, people having conversations with those folks in the communities, going to the, to those places, going to the, the mechanics and say, Hey, look, this is what we need. You know, is this something that you guys are interested in? Can you help us out? Um, and it's, it really takes some out of the box thinking and some, um, you know, it, it's getting out in your community. How much do we talk about, you know, you take that EMS run and you learn the house that you're walking into. You know, it's similar to that for the administration. Get out in your community, talk to those people. So that way when, you know, you have those significant incidents, that you have those relationships, that you know, you know your first do, you know what's available. You know, um, I think that's a that's a great point. 
Yeah, and, and Ben, I it, even taking it further, I know we all have our well, we should all have our our storm plans or you know uh, operational guidelines for anticipated natural disasters, i.e., the storm plan. Um, but you you both have been down to you know, my community. You know how small it is, um, and some limitations. And with that, I can tell you, Hurricane Irma, um, we were without electric for only five days, but that, that kind of sucked out loud because it was like a sauna. I slept in my office for five days. Um, the the fire station, the annex, were the living quarters for the firefighters, their generator didn't work. It, it failed at, you know, when we lost electric. So they had no electricity. But because we had some of those relationships and we had a – um, we had a redundancy, just like we did in Ocean City. Like if, if a fire station um, goes down because of damage, we have a relocation spot, the relocation A, B, and C. Well, you know, the Marriott's were good for us. Well, during Hurricane Irma, Marriott's, um, their window glazing failed, and they had water, like, flying in the rooms. Um, so our backup was, believe it or not, was uh, one of our marinas that had shower and laundry facilities on site. And they had a little hotel motel there so we could relocate there and our folks could wash their clothes they could they could take a hot shower that kind of thing so just to your point ben um it takes a little bit of you know, I, I keep going back to the public private partnerships but getting to know some of the resources in your community i'll give you an example there is not a drop of diesel fuel on the island where i work not a single drop except for the marinas because they obviously fuel um can we get the diesel fuel from the end of the T pier to a fire truck at one marina? We can. Are they able to uh, fuel us on a regular basis? No, because we have a, a, a state fleet card that they can't process. But on an emergency basis, if, if there's a hurricane, I know that we can drive around back by the seawall and we can fuel our fire trucks because there's 3,200 gallons of diesel fuel sitting in a tank that's not going to be used by any boats because the boats are gone, but we have access to it. Um, versus trying to go over on the mainland or across a bridge that's been damaged or a causeway that's been washed out. We still have the ability, but that takes the effort of, and it's it's not me, it's my folks who go, hey, uh, Chief, well, what happens if this? I'm like, that's a damn good question. Let's figure this out. And we start looking and talking to people, say, hey, you go to this Marine, I'll go to this. And we, we come up with a plan. So the wisdom is truly in the trenches because guess what? At the end of the day, those poor, those poor bastards on that ambulance, on that fire engine, on that ladder truck, that heavy rescue, they're the ones who have to figure this shit out. It's not going to be because there's been some grand plan or we, we, we made everything great on our, um, on our continuity of operations plan. I mean, those things help. But this is where the wisdom's in the trenches where they're out on the street every day and they're going to be the ones who figure out how to get shit done and get it done quickly and efficiently. So that's where I would really say that you um, the administrative uh, portion and the operational portion need to sit down and just have a brainstorming session. You know, take the glitter shit off the collar for 10 minutes, sit it on the desk and say, all right, guys, let's talk about the what ifs. I mean, I'm not talking about the, you know, if the asteroid hits the uh, planet tomorrow, what are we going to do? That's going to suck for all of us. And you know, we'll have to figure that one out. But what happens when we have the flooding? We have the storm. We have the natural disaster. We have the man-made disaster. We have the terrorist incident. Um, you know, these folks are going to be the ones. So, you know, please, 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 if I can implore, you know, the officers to do anything is look at some of the wisdom in the trenches and look at your resources, look at your personal or personnel resources. There's people on your shift that I guarantee have skill sets well outside the fire service. 
it could be you know, administrative things like you know they could be accountants they could be carpenters they could be plumbers they could be welders they could be engineers you, you have no i mean look at look at mike wood i mean that's pretty yeah it's a pretty sharp dude um you know bobby mcgee's no dummy i mean you know he's not the most handsome guy in the world but he's a smart son of a bitch as far as i'm concerned but you know but my point is there's so many people in our industry um you know my, my guy who was working overnight last night he he owns a uh, heavy equipment company on the side the guy knows a little bit about you know operating heavy equipment doing he was the best person I could have had on uh, shift as my shift commander last night in case we had any you know, major debris issues that we had to have cleared. I didn't have to call outside resources. This guy could hop in a, a public works uh, tractor or loader and do it himself And we're, while public works is home or instead of waiting 45 minutes for him. So I would really, really, really encourage everybody to have that casual sit-down conversation and look at the resources you have available Um and even at, even outside of operations, I mean, look look at people like well Ben, like your, yourself, or um, like a Gringo or, or Eric Olson. Some of these people, some of these people can help you with uh, you know some some mental health needs on the shift with physical uh, physical conditioning, uh, you know, physical recovery needs. All these there there's so many different things that we have and the skill sets in the fire service. And I think sometimes we get our blinders on and everything has to be about the. EMS operations or fire operations or whatever the case is that we squander some of those opportunities. Um, a couple more things I got tonight. I know you wanted to wrap it up a little bit early, Ben, you got to hit the road. Right. Um, but anyways, um, just a, you know, a, a, a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, first of all, uh, my, uh, brother, Lieutenant Steve Twilley in ocean city, um, is leaving next week. Um, his dual role is he's, he's an officer in the Air Force now and does medevacs on, um, I guess, airplanes. I don't know, maybe Ben knows more about it than I do. But anyways, he's got to go to six months of further training for that, and he's going to head out next week. And uh, I wish him the best, and uh, he, he really represents us well. He's a, he's a very, very solid guy. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about is um, – uh, Trevor and I and, and Mike Wood from Baltimore City and uh, Ray McCormick from FDNY are heading out to Wichita to do the Wichita Hot, uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, what I can tell you is it has to do with the first two engine and the first two truck and a mayday with a realistic response, we believe, um, that doesn't involve just evacuating the building or doing things like that. But um, we're really looking forward to that. Uh, we've been working hard getting ready for that. Um, and Wichita is always a great place. There's a lot of great brothers and sisters out there. Um, you know, if, if you've never been to the Midwest and, and met the people out there, um, I can't really describe them, but they're a very solid and, and, and wonderful group of people out there. And uh, I look forward to going out there and uh, having some brotherhood and doing some training and having some good times and hell, maybe even a cold drink, you know what I mean? But we'll see how that goes. Um, but that's that's kind of two things I had left, Ben. Um, I think, you know, um, Steve Twilley's a, a great asset to our fire department, and we'll miss him, but then he's also helping out with the Air Force and taking care of other things in our country. And, uh, you know, I salute him for doing that, too. So uh, that's what I got. Yeah, the, the little bit I've talked to Steve about what he's doing um, when he goes to – when he gets, I guess, through all of his schools and that kind of stuff is he's – eventually going to be teaching like the emergency care portion uh, for those medevacs because of his experience uh, as a paramedic, as a nurse in the ER. Um, so he's, I think he's actually going to be teaching a lot of the stuff that they're doing 
um, throughout this process. And then once he actually goes on deployments, it's yeah, doing the, the big medevacs on airplanes, um, out of the, um, I guess like the field hospitals to the larger hospitals. So I know he's, he's really excited about it. Um, they couldn't get a better person to fill that role. Uh, Steve is a, is a phenomenal human being and an excellent provider. Um, so I really wish him the best. Uh, thanks for bringing, I didn't know he was leaving that soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, and I forgot something just so, so everyone knows, um, uh, we had a horrific uh, military plane crash up here in Ocean City not too long ago. Uh, it actually was right before uh, Steve went to his officer candidate school, I believe. Uh, and Steve is also one of our divers in the fire department. We're going to kind of miss him, actually, but uh, he's one of our divers in the fire department. And, and Steve got into the airplane, and, and sadly, they had a fatality in the airplane. And, and Steve would not leave him until he was out of the airplane to be taken care of. And, uh, you know, I know the, the Air Force was, was just really appreciative of not leaving their guy below and bringing him up. And so, you know, Steve's a really, really uh, great guy. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we've got to share him with other people because he's just that good. Yeah, and um, I, I knew uh, Steve was getting into that stuff, but I didn't know he going that far into it. And, you know, Bobby and Ben, thank you for bringing me up to speed on that because um, I've got a world of respect for Steve. Um, you know, had the privilege of working with him for many years, had a lot of fun working with him. Um, and I had heard that same story when that uh, AWAC oh. Spain. Yeah, a lot, a lot you're not a lot you're not allowed to talk to because <laughs> talk about because of FCC rules, Trevor. Well, well the statute of limitations also. So, <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll, we'll change names from that to guilty. But, I mean, you, you just talk about it all around. Good guy. Um, you know, not only a good brother to work with, but just you know, the skill sets he has. And yeah, I'd heard the same thing when that AWACS plane went down off of Wallops uh, Island at the Naval Air Station there that, or um, yeah, at the air station rather. And he, um, you know, that, that's just kind of how he is. So I know he's going to serve exceptionally well. Uh, yeah, I wish him all the best of luck. And I know he's going to do phenomenal. And, uh, you know, just you know, want him to return home safely to us like you know, we do everybody. But um, the old, old Steve Twilley, I'll, I'll say this real quick, um, just because I think it's hysterical. Uh, Steve never enjoyed talking on the radio. He was fine with it, but it's not something he always enjoyed. But he is that guy that you could really mess with because he keyed the microphone. And if you started messing with him, he wouldn't unkey the microphone. And anything that you know he wanted to say to you went across the air. So uh, that was that was always fun to be able to screw with him while he was working. But uh, I mean, you, you talk about just a solid, well versed, and you know, diversified individual. Um, so, you know, by all means, I think, uh, Ben, we ought to try to get him on the show when he gets, you know, done his, uh, next deployment, maybe we'll bring Steve back on the show and, uh, talk to him a little bit. Absolutely. It sounds great. I'll, um, I'll, I'll reach out to him tonight and see, see what his schedule's like. I know, I mean, the man, the man is never home. Uh, it's a good thing. Cause it seems like whenever he is, there's another daughter that comes along. Yeah, he he's got the TK he's got the uh, TK syndrome because he, yeah. uh, he just keeps popping out daughters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with that, we're gonna like I said, we're gonna try and keep a little shorter. I know Bobby's gonna get back inside for music bingo. Uh, Trevor, I'm sure has to um, get back to his crochet and cross point. I just want to I just want to go to sleep. I'm tired. <laughs> hey, so one, that, one more thing, Ben. I got go one more thing, and go I'm ahead. out. But um, so I, I really want to, you know. Uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to Eric and Sherry Hoovenin. Um, they've yet to return to Punta Gorda to see what's going on with their their places. 
Um, Evan Hooven is down there also, and, and little Eric Hooven is working down there. I say little Eric. He's a big Eric. He's probably bigger than I am now. Um, but they're all down there um, in the middle of that storm. And uh, I just want to, you know, everyone say their thoughts and prayers that they have something to go back to or, or some way to, to patch the stuff up they have going on down there. So um, for those guys, cheers, get back. I pray it's a, a short-lived uh, misery, and then you can be back to normal again. Thanks, Bobby. Um, so with that, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, thanks for everybody tuning in. Um, again, kind of to, to continue with what Bobby was saying, my thoughts and prayers to all the folks on the the western side of Florida and anybody that was impacted by Hurricane Ian. Um, you know, it, from what we've seen so far, it, it's pretty horrific. So. Um, you know, keep the keep all those folks in your thoughts and prayers, and you know, help them get through that quickly. Um, as far as the show goes, we're back in two weeks. I am super excited about it. Uh, we've got the Hazmat guys. Uh, they have a website. They have a podcast. Um, they have a subscription service where you can go on and um, you know have have conversations with other Hazmat or other folks interested in Hazmat. Uh, so we're going to be talking about you know just the general hazmat size up like we did with spec ops uh and tactical rescue a long time ago um some general hazmat stuff and then we're gonna get into the lithium-ion battery debacle um and and see where that takes us and try and get the the latest and greatest from those guys so they are super cool if you guys haven't uh, heard of them or haven't seen them the hazmatguys.com is their website if you go on um, apple Podcasts, spotify uh, just about all the places where you can find our podcast, you can find theirs. Um, and it's phenomenal. They're short, probably 30, 35 minute uh, shows. Um, but it's great information and stuff about hazmat that will blow your mind uh, from guys that, that are on a specialty hazmat unit uh, in a large city and, and do this stuff every day. So um, be be sure to, to put that on your calendars and come check us out. Because uh, it's going to be a great show. They're also, if you miss our show, they're also going to re-show it uh, for one of their shows one evening. So, uh, with that being said, gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. LT, I'm sure I'll probably see you tomorrow. All right, love you guys. Be safe. Yep, yeah, love you too. You guys uh, have a good night. Stay safe, and we'll see you next. See you in two weeks. <laughs>